0: Hey, folks, Andy Patton here. The Zags played a sloppy second half, but still secured a 20 point victory over the Pepperdine Waves on Wednesday. Today's show is going to be a review of that game, and we're going to discuss the five things that I was watching for ahead of the game and how they played out. And then we're going to grade some listener submitted hot takes for Andy Locks, all right here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Don't go away. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to take you through another season of Gonzaga Hoops. I want to thank all of you who've made this podcast your first listen of the day. I sincerely appreciate being a part of your morning or afternoon or evening routine. I also appreciate all of you who have checked out the show on YouTube. We are just about to hit 350 subscribers on the YouTube channel, a great accomplishment trying to get to 500 before the start of March Madness or at least before the end of March Madness. I know we can do that. So if you are a listener to the show and you have not done so yet, just go to YouTube.com, search Locked On Zags, hit that subscribe button. All right, the Zags took care of business On Wednesday against the waves of Pepperdine, it was not a particularly pretty game against Lorenzo Romar's squad. I know Pepperdine is the worst-ranked team in the conference in terms of record, and It's tough to have struggle games against the teams at the bottom of the conference. I also think Pepperdine is perhaps a bit misleading in their record. I had a a nice conversation with Asher Lowe, the PA announcer for the Pepperdine Waves on Tuesday's show. This is a team with four legit freshmen in the starting rotation. Uh, They've been developing and getting significantly better as the year has gone on. Uh, That's not an excuse for a lot of Gonzaga's struggles on Wednesday and certainly things that will need to get cleaned up uh, suddenly between now and in March. Uh, I think this was a good opportunity game for the Zags to to give some of their starters a little bit longer of a break. I was kind of hoping going into this game we'd see 20 to 25 minutes of Nolan Hickman, 20 to 25 minutes of Hunter Salas, maybe 10 to 12 minutes of Ben Gregg, uh, maybe some Caden Perry, some Dominic Harris if they were healthy. Neither of those two players appeared in this game. Uh, it likely because they were not healthy enough to play, but also potentially because they would not have come into the game anyway. We ended up only seeing 14 minutes from Nolan Hickman, 18 minutes from Hunter Salas, I believe three minutes from Ben Gregg, and that was about it. Unfortunately, the Zags were just not quite able to put Pepperdine away. uh, A pretty... Pretty bad stretch early in the second half uh, against the Waves that really kind of continued until the last four or five minutes uh, of the contest. Just some sloppy defense, uh, some struggles to get the basketball to go through the hoop. I don't think Pepperdine was doing anything particularly excellent <laughs> against the Zags. I don't want to slam them too much. They they did play with a lot of hustle. I think that was kind of the, the, the winning formula for them is they just out-hustled the Zags, which is not... Something that happens all that often and I think was what made it so frustrating to watch is seeing guys get stripped from behind of the basketball, seeing Pepperdine be the first body on the floor after a loose ball, especially when the game was kind of close. Not that... You still want to see your guys diving on the ball when they're up by 20, 25 points, but it's a little bit more forgivable. But when the game gets within 9 or 10 points and it still looks like Pepperdine is working a little bit harder, that's that's the kind of thing that I have a feeling Mark Few had some, had some words with some of the guys on the team about because that is just not going to fly uh, in this program, on this team, uh, no matter who you're playing. Uh, there were some highlights in this game. Uh, Andrew Nempard uh, deserves a shout-out. He had a, a a bit of a strange game. Uh, he had nine assists in the first half. He was a complete weapon in the pick-and-roll. It's long been established how good he is as a pick-and-roll point guard. Perhaps the best pick-and-roll point guard in Gonzaga history. Very likely the best pick-and-roll point guard Currently in the NCAA, his ability to make quick reads off the pick and roll, uh, to hit his guy right in the right spot, to hit that little mid-range jump shot, to step back, shoot a three-pointer, uh, or to swing it around to the opposite side if that's the play. He reads it so quickly, he was delivering the ball on the money all game long. Nine assists in the first half, ended up breaking his career high, had 14 assists for the game. The the record at a, in a Gonzaga uniform, excuse me, is Blake Step. Who had 16 assists in a game in 2002? Nemhardt, of course, did not get there, but his 14 assists is tied for second all time with Joel Ayayi, who had 14 assists in a game last season. So shout out to Andrew Nemhart for that. He had a pretty, pretty terrible game shooting the basketball. One for eight from the field. Did not did not knock down a three pointer. Had a lot of good looks. Uh, in the mid-range game, which is normally where he really, really thrives as a mid-range shooter, he's got a little floater that he likes to take in the, off the pick and roll that is a, a money shot for the most part, but just couldn't find the rim today or yesterday. One of those things that is, you know, it's forgivable, especially if you're going to dish out 14 assists, but Andrew Nembhard's ability to put the basketball in the hoop is an imperative part of this team's success. As he goes, they go for the most part, if you look at Gonzaga's worst games of the season, you look at Tarleton State, you look at Alabama, you look at the second half of this game, oftentimes those situations are times when Andrew Nembhard is, not, is struggling to put the ball in the hoop. There is a reason that there is a correlation between those two things. He is an integral piece of... To what they do. If he is humming along by the time the NCAA tournament comes around, this team is going to be really, really tough to stop. But if he can't find the bucket, they're going to have to make some adjustments and figure out ways to continue to win basketball games because he is such an, a critical piece to what they do offensively. Uh, also, the, just a sloppy second half in general. I kind of touched on it already. Uh, the Zags only outscored Pepperdine by four. In the second half, they had 41 points. Pepperdine had 37 points. Uh, the defense just got really sloppy. There was a possession. The, the worst stretch of the game by far was back-to-back possessions where Gonzaga fouled a three-point shooter. Just the most criminally offensive thing you can do uh, on the basketball court defensively. Uh, both times, it was Houston Millette who had an incredible game for the Waves. We talked about him ahead of the game. We knew he was going to be a big-time piece. I think he had 54 points in his last two games Coming into this game, he had he dropped 31 against BYU on a hyper-efficient scoring night. Uh, he went four of six on the free throw line on those back-to-back uh, fouling of a three-point shooter. He finished the game with 25 points. Uh, not as efficient as he was against BYU. He was eight for 23 on the game, only two for eight from downtown. So he didn't have the most efficient shooting night of his career by any stretch of the imagination. Some of that can be attributed to Gonzaga playing pretty good defense on the perimeter for large chunks of the game. But they also struggled fouling him twice at the three-point line, many instances of not being able to find him on the court. He's a really tough young player, true freshman. He's going to be really, really good if he sticks it out at Pepperdine. Hopefully, he will be on their roster for the next couple of years, be the next kind of Colby Ross-type player for this program. They have some other great... Guards as well, Mike Mitchell had a nice game. Uh, He's a very good passer as a true freshman. Uh, I I think this Pepperdine team has a lot to be excited about if they can keep their players. Obviously, the transfer portal has made that more difficult for a lot of teams. Uh, Hopefully, Romar, who is a good recruiter, can be a good, good at keeping these kids to stay in Pepperdine uniforms. That's going to be a big part of his sustained success in the program. We know he's maybe not the best X's and O's coach on the planet. Certainly a bit overrated in that regard, but has had a successful career in recruiting players. And if he can establish himself as good at retra- retaining said players, that's going to help this program continue to grow. Uh, Chad Holmgren, great game. Uh, 18 points, 17 rebounds, four blocks. Uh, The 17 rebounds is a career high for him. He was one block away from being the only player in the NCAA to have two games this season with 15 or more points, 15 or more rebounds, and five or more blocks. Again, he fell just one block short of accomplishing that feat. Uh, Anton Watson also deserves a shout-out here. A fantastic game off the bench. 16 points on 6 of 9, shooting Gonzaga's most efficient score on the night by far. Even Holmgren, who's normally hyper-efficient, was only 6 for 11 from the field, which is far from bad. For the record, 6-for-11 from the field is still a good night, but we're used to seeing Chet be up over 65, 70% from the field most games. So seeing Watson go 6-for-9, 4-for-4 four four from the free throw line, that's more of the Chet Holmgren style of game. But Watson ended up having that off the bench. Much needed for the Zags, not just for them to actually win the game, although it was important in that regard, but also just for Watson to kind of find that rhythm again. He's been been—he's been great the entire season, even when he hasn't had a lot of score scoring the last couple of games he's still been highly impactful on defense and not you know not turning the ball over a lot not causing a lot of problems offensively just maybe not finding the rim as much in this game he was rim running a lot he was down low in the post he was running the pick and roll efficiently He, he just looked really really smooth and gave us kind of a reminder of hey when when Chad holman has gone next year, and when Drew Timmy's potentially gone next year, like they're still going to have a, a, a highly productive scoring big man in Anton Watson. We'll see what the rest of the the front court shakes out like, but but having Watson back next season is going to be so critical to this team and their ability to still get low post scoring production uh, from a big man. And then the last point before we get into the five things to watch, uh, the Zags shot four of 18 from three, a really poor shooting night from the Zags. Uh, You know, they're they're just, they're not super consistent. They haven't been consistent all year long. I've I've kind of stepped back from calling them a bad three-point shooting team because throughout conference play, they have proven they are not a bad three-point shooting team. And in in many instances, they look like a very, very good three-point shooting team, but they still have lull periods where they really struggled this was a game where that 4 of 18 is not going to get it done if they shoot four of 18 from three in the NCAA tournament, unless it's the first round, they're probably going to be in a legit dogfight. Pepperdine's not an NCAA tournament team, and they were within eight for large stretches of the second half. So this is something that's going to need to be corrected. I think that it will. I don't think there's going to be too many more four of 18 games for the Zags from, down, from beyond the arc, and they have such good low post scoring that they can somewhat stomach not relying on the three-point shot as much as other teams do. But when you get into the tournament, you need to be clicking on all cylinders, and that outside shot needs to be falling for them when they get into March if they want to make a deep run. All right, second segment, I'm going to be discussing my five things to watch, which were detailed on Wednesday's episode of Locked on Zags. Before we get there, though, let's talk about today's sponsor, Online. There might be less football being played, but BetOnline.net has way more stuff to bet on this playoff season. From scores, totals, and player performance props to where the next fired coach is going to land, BetOnline is the number one spot for all things NFL betting in 2022. And it's not just football. BetOnline.net's basketball, hockey, boxing, and UFC odds coverage is the best in the business. From sports right down to your favorite Vegas casino games, BetOnline is your number one online wagering destination. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all of your favorite sports and play your favorite online games. Bet online, where the game starts. All right, segment two still Andy Patton, still locked on Zag, still reviewing the somewhat ugly Gonzaga vs. Pepperdine game on Wednesday night at Firestone Fieldhouse in Malibu, California. Uh, My first thing on my five things to watch, a bit disappointing to have to talk about, can the Zags top 115 points once again? No, no they cannot. It became fairly clear early in the game that they were not going to do that. They finished with 45 points at halftime and only 41 points in the second half. We say only, there's a lot of teams in college basketball that don't have Two halves in a game where they drop over 40 points. That is something that is, you know, escapes teams like St. Mary's most of the time, uh, and they're still a top 25 ish team in the NCAA. Obviously, the Zags were more accustomed to them having 50 point halves or 60 point halves, which they have done quite a few times this year. Again, we talked at length already about why the Zags did not get to over 100 points. Four of 18 from three, only 45 points at halftime. They had a two-minute stretch in the second half where they did not score a single field goal. They had about an eight-minute stretch where they just really struggled to put the ball into the hoop. They were stuck at 57 points, I think, for a very long period of time. Again, finished with 86 points. Far from terrible. Far from bad. Just not what we're accustomed to seeing from this Gonzaga team, especially against a team like Pepperdine. Next up, will one of the big step up or will it be a group effort? Uh, you may recall in Wednesday's episode I discussed how Chet Holmgren, Anton Watson, and Drew Timmy all had, I believe, 19, 18, and 18 points the last time these three uh, three guys played against Pepperdine earlier in the season. I was wondering if it would be a similarly efficient night from all three of them or if one of them in particular would kind of step up and establish themselves as the go-to big man in this game that did not happen they almost did the exact same thing again again last time these these three guys played against Pepperdine Watson had 19 Drew and Chet each had 18 this time Chet also had 18 again Drew had 19 and Watson had 16 Basically, the exact same level of production from all three of those guys, uh, which is good. It's incredible when all three of them are firing. Uh, offensively when all of them have are having efficient nights. It was not a super efficient night from Drew. I think he was right around 50% from the field. Chet Holmgren was just over 50% from the field. Watson obviously was 66% from the field as he went six for nine. So all of them had pretty good efficient nights. We're used to seeing a little bit more from Drew Timmy. He's been missing a few more shots lately, which has drawn some attention from, from some nervous Gonzaga fans and some kind of nervous media members. Uh, I think he's going to be fine. I'm not overly concerned about it, uh, but I think in in games where he's maybe not as efficient as normal, it's nice to see Watson step up and drop 16 off the bench. It's nice to see Chet continue to be such a, a dynamic offensive force where he can score under the basket. He can score on alley-oops. He can score on post moves. He can score on mid-range, mid-range fadeaways, and he can score from beyond the arc. He can do a little bit of everything, so it helps kind of alleviate any concerns about other players on Gonzaga's roster. Uh, I think it's always better when all three of these guys have good games than when one has a good game and the other two guys don't have very good games. That always makes me a little bit more nervous, so it was nice to see all three of these guys have a good game. Yes, it's Pepperdine. They don't have a ton of size. You know, certainly when you get into the NCAA tournament, you face some bigger, stronger teams. It's probably going to be harder for all three of the big men to drop over 15 points, but it's nice to know that they can all do it because... When you get in the tournament, you're going to need at least one of them, probably two of them, to have really nice games, and we know that they're capable of doing so. Next up, I was hoping to see a Nolan Hickman offensive breakout in this game. That did not happen. Uh, Nolan Hickman had four points in the first half. He had zero points in the second half. He only played 14 minutes in this one. Hunter Salas played 18 minutes. I'm not sure that I'm reading too much into that. Uh, Obviously, Andrew Empire dropped 14 assists, so he was just playing a playmaking role throughout the contest that kind of afforded Salas the opportunity to play more minutes as a combo guard role. Salas obviously is really impactful defensively with the way uh, Mike Mitchell and Houston Millett were playing. You kind of wanted a guard to come in there and really harass those guys on the perimeter. Hickman is a good defensive player, but he does not have the length, the reach, and the athleticism that Hunter Salas did. So it makes more sense for Salas to get more minutes in that game and kind of play that more aggressive defensive role. Hickman, what, he wasn't bad in this game. He had one kind of egregious turnover, which, you know, he's a freshman. It happens. Only four points, but it's not like he missed a whole bunch of shots. Uh, just wasn't the offensive breakout game that we were hoping to see from him. Maybe there's, there's a few more opportunities for the Zags. Uh, maybe he'll get a chance to kind of strut his stuff uh, either in the regular season, in the WCC tournament, or potentially in the NCAA tournament. Uh, we'll, we'll kind of see him have that signature breakout game that turns a lot of heads. Next up, already touched on this a little bit. Um, more minutes from the reserves. This would have been a really nice game for this to happen. Zach's got Santa Clara on Saturday. They got St. Mary's next week. They got USF next week. Uh, there's a potential for all three of those games to be dogfights, uh, to be games that are as close or closer than this one was during the contest. When games get close like that, Mark Few's not going to turn to the bench much. We're not going to see a lot of Ben Gregg. You're going to see less of Hunter Salas and Nolan Hickman. You're, you're not going to see your your Matthew Langs, your Martinez Arlowskises, your Caden Perrys, any, any of those guys in closer games. This was a good opportunity if the Zach could just kind of blow the doors off them like they did last time for us to see 10 minutes of Ben Gregg, eight minutes of Martinez uh, you know, six or seven minutes of Caden Perry, provided he was healthy, uh, and only 22 minutes from Andrew Nembhard. 23 minutes from Drew Timmy, something like that. Instead, we got a game where the starters played the majority of the minutes. The backups played less minutes than they normally do. And now those guys are going to be a little bit more fatigued. Yes, they got an extra day of rest before Santa Clara on Saturday. But there's a chance we're going to need them for a long time against Santa Clara. The Broncos are very, very good. Jalen Williams, P.J. Pipes, Yusuf Vrankic. This is a really good squad for the Broncos and Coach Herb Sendek. I think there's a chance that Gonzaga's going maybe not down to the wire against Santa Clara, but they're, it might be similar to this game where they're playing the starters for 35-ish minutes instead of getting those rotation guys out and getting some of the bench guys back into the game. And then, of course, St. Mary's and San Francisco are going to be dogfights next week as well, leading into the WCC tournament. So it's kind of a missed opportunity for the Zags to get some of their bench players a little bit more minutes in this game. Hopefully they'll find a way to beat one of these teams in the next couple of days uh, significantly enough that they can give some of their starters a little bit of a break uh, so that they're not as gassed going into the NCAA tournament. And my last one, Dominic Harris. I was kind of hoping maybe, maybe, There was an opportunity for him to play in this game. He'd made an indication that he was close to returning to the court. Uh, I thought it was pretty optimistic to think he would be playing on Wednesday's game. Uh, As of right now, as I'm recording this on Thursday morning, I did have not heard whether there is an update on Dominic Harris's health heading into Saturday's game against Santa Clara. Obviously, I'll provide an update on Twitter uh, as soon as I hear one, if I do hear one. Uh, But right now, it does not. There's not any indication that Dominic Harris is going to return to the court uh, in any of the next couple of games. All right, segment three, still Andy Patton, still locked on Zags, pivoting away from the Gonzaga-Pepperdine game on Wednesday and instead doing Andy Locks. We haven't done a ton of Andy Locks lately. For those of you who need a reminder, Andy Locks is a weekly segment, normally on Thursdays, discussing listener-submitted hot takes. I give them a grade, too hot, too cold, or just right, hence the name Andy Locks. It's a play off of Goldilocks. Goldilocks. Uh, got a handful of pretty good submissions this week. Going to go through them right now. This first one comes from GozagsRepub on Twitter, who says, it's not not quite in the spirit of the exercise, but I still wanted to talk about it. He said, would you rather Gonzaga win the championship this year and never again, or GU win five straight in 20 years? Well, I don't like either of these options <laughs> because that means either way... the at least 19 of the next 20 years, the Zags are not winning a championship. That is a bummer. That is not an ideal situation. I think for me personally, I would take them winning it this year with how involved I have been with it. And this is a very personal answer for, for me. Uh, with how involved I have been with this team and, and how closely I am aligned with them. I talk about them every single day on this podcast. I watch every game. I consume every piece of media about this team. Getting to see them win the championship, like I would probably write a book about it. To be perfectly honest, like I would, I'm so invested in this team that I think getting to see them win it all would be incredible. Uh, Knowing the team's not going to win for the next 20 years would make it really hard for me to remain engaged on this show, this podcast. Certainly, if I knew they weren't going to win it all, uh, I don't know if I would be able to continue to do it. Uh, Seeing them win it all when I'm in my 50s would be cool. Don't get me wrong, especially winning it five years in a row. That would be super, super cool. But I think I'd rather them win it now even though the, the 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 sadness of knowing they're never going to win it again would be pretty crushing. But at least knowing that they got one uh, when I was covering the team and, and really invested would be cool. Next up, this take comes from Sammy via Gmail. He says, Hunter Salas will be Gonzaga's best guard next season. So I think this is just right. I think, obviously, uh, it's it's very possible. I think... There's, we're assuming A, that Hunter Salas is coming back, which has been my expectation for the most part. We're assuming, well, we're not necessarily assuming that Nolan Hickman's coming back. But if we are assuming that Nolan Hickman is coming back, that means we're, we're expecting Salas to be more productive or better next year. It's hard to quantify those things, obviously. I think uh, Hickman certainly plays a different role than Salas. He's more of a facilitator, more of a passer, more of a playmaker. Salas, more of a defensive player, more of a get to the rim scorer. Hickman's better outside shooter. I think there's a chance that Hickman scores more points per game next year but that Salas, with his defensive impact, is a more impactful player. Dominic Harris will likely be in the picture as well. I expect both Salas and Hickman to be more productive players than, than Harris next year, but Harris is obviously a very good outside shooter, good defensive player as well. Uh, obviously, Anthony Black could be in the picture here as well. There's transfers that could be in the picture as well. Uh, so it's, it's, it's uncertain what the guard rotation is going to look like next year, but I would not be shocked if Hunter Salas is the best player out of that group. Next up, another one from Gozag Repub on Twitter, who says, Next year's starting five, Hickman, Harris, Salas, Watson, Timmy. Yeah, I really like this, and I think this is possible. I have said on this show multiple times that I believe that there is a good chance that Drew Timmy returns. He is not on a lot of NBA draft boards. He's showing up sparingly as a late second-round pick. He is a dominant college player. He has the potential to be a four-year guy, a Christian Leitner-level hated face of college basketball. He obviously can make money through these NIL deals, which he has been doing. He has multiple sponsorships with Boost Mobile, obviously with a casino in Spokane as well. So it makes some sense for him to consider coming back. I don't know if the things that NBA scouts need to see from him, the outside shooting, the mid-range game, some more lateral movement defensively. He has improved a bit on those things from last year to this year. I don't know how much more he can improve on those things next year. And he has to improve on them significantly because every year he is older hurts his draft stock as well. But I think it's fairly possible that he returns. This also makes the assumption, I assume, that Julian Strother is leaving or not starting, I suppose. I would assume leaving. And I also think that's possible. Julian Strother's really good. He's six foot 7 he's got long arms, he's a good defensive player, he's a good outside shooter, he's good at scoring, uh, getting to the rim, cutting without the basketball. He's a very, very talented basketball player. If he has a good NCAA tournament or balls out while working out for teams, I think he could sneak into the late first-round conversation, early second-round conversation, and I think he could leave. There's a lot of moving parts on this team. Nolan Hickman, Hunter Salas are both pieces that are unclear at this point. Julian Strother, unclear at this point. Drew Timmy, unclear at this point. So it's really hard to know what exactly the rotation is going to look like. If Timmy comes back and Strother leaves, I think a starting lineup of Hickman, Harris, Salas, Watson, Timmy is definitely the most likely scenario. I think Gonzaga would go three guards if they did not have Julian Strother. Obviously, Anthony Black, were he to commit to Gonzaga, would probably mix this up a little bit. Black would probably start over Harris. Harris would end up coming off the bench. That would be my guess as to how that would shake out. But I would not be shocked if this starting five uh, is a potential for next year's roster. Next up, this one comes from Dad Risk on Twitter. He says, one bid WCC. It appears as though this is one bad St. Mary's loss away from being possible. I think people are not recognizing how bad the bubble is this year. This isn't a knock on BYU or St. Mary's or San Francisco who are all kind of right in that bubble conversation. St. Mary's is squarely above the bubble conversation right now. But the, re- the teams that are competing for bubble spots are not good. Like, San Francisco and BYU are better than most of the teams that are competing for bubble spots. In years past, there have been better teams competing for those spots, which would make it more difficult. Looking ahead at the schedules, the problem is that these teams are kind of all playing each other, so every time they, su- they suffer a loss, one of the other bubble teams gets a big win. So it's kind of, like you said, uh, one, Saint Mary's, one bad St. Mary's loss away from being possible. St. Mary's only has one opportunity to have a bad loss. They're playing San Francisco, Gonzaga, BYU, and San Diego. Those are their final four games. Three of those are not bad losses. You lose to San Francisco, it's not a great loss, but it's a quad one loss. You lose to Gonzaga, which they probably will, that's a quad one loss. BYU, quad one loss. San Diego's their only bad loss available. Now, if they lose all if they beat San Diego and they lose all three of the rest of those games, yeah, they're they're gonna be squarely on the bubble. I still don't think they're eliminated. Even if they go one and three for the rest of the season, I don't know that they're eliminated because those are all three quad one losses. That's the thing that makes this a little bit trickier, is there's there's not a lot of bad losses left to have. I think if St. If, if St. Mary's splits those games, they beat San Diego and they beat one of San Francisco, BYU. Then I think that they're still in. I think they're still in. I, I, I would be. It would be hard for me to imagine them not getting in like that. For BYU, they have St. Mary's, they have Pepperdine, they have LMU. BYU probably needs to go at least two and one. They probably should go three and zero oh. if they beat St. Mary's and they beat Pepperdine and LMU. They're probably in even if they lose in the WCC tournament. For San Francisco, they have St. Mary's, they have Pacific, they have Gonzaga, they have USD. San Francisco cannot lose to Pacific or San Diego. They have to win those two games. Have to, have to, have to win those two games. If they drop either of those games, they are done. I believe that pretty conclusively. If they lose to St. Mary's and they lose to Gonzaga, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. If they can beat St. Mary's and beat Pacific and beat San Diego and lose to Gonzaga, I think they're in. The long overarching way to explain all of this is that I have a hard time imagining that all of these teams do enough damage to themselves that only Gonzaga gets into the WCC, or gets, sorry, gets into the NCAA tournament. In fact, I think it would be really, really difficult for that to happen. I don't know how, like, St. Mary's would have to lose to San Diego, BYU would have to lose to either Pepperdine or LMU, and San Francisco would have to lose to USD or Pacific all of those things would have to happen. And also Washington state would probably have to win out something weird, like Oregon winning the NCAA tournament would have to happen, or you're going to get like a Utah state wins the mountain West. And then it kind of screws everything up because they're going to get an extra bid because of that. And those things could all happen. They do every year. Somebody, somebody messes things up by winning a tournament that they're not supposed to win, which kind of causes chaos and gives an extra team a spot in the NCAA tournament. But I just, I'm looking at the rest of these schedules and it's hard for me to imagine that everybody does enough damage to themselves that only Gonzaga gets in from the WCC. Next up, this one comes from B. Mary Zag on Twitter. He says, BYU and Portland will finish the season with the same amount of losses. So I took this to mean conference losses, which currently BYU has five losses in conference play. Portland has six losses in conference play. BYU plays St. Mary's, Pepperdine, and LMU to finish out the year. Portland has four more games. San Diego, Pacific, Pepperdine, Santa Clara. So I'd be pretty surprised. Uh, if UP goes 3-1, and one, again, against San Diego, Pacific, Pepperdine, Santa Clara, 3-1 and one would be a really nice result for the Pilots. I think it's very possible they beat Pacific, very possible they beat Pepperdine. They can beat San Diego. I think they're capable of beating San Diego. Santa Clara, pretty tough ask. Pretty tough ask for them to beat them. But if UP goes 3-1, and one, that means they have seven losses. That means BYU, with their games against St. Mary's, Pepperdine, LMU, have to go 1-2. and two. That means they lose to either Pepperdine or LMU. And they lose to St. Mary's. Could it happen? Yes. Is it likely? No. So for a hot take, I say this is just right. This is a good hot take. It's it's possible. <laughs> Obviously, you know, Portland could go 4-0. They could sweep these games. BYU could go 0-3. That would be devastating. They'd be out of the NCAA tournament for sure. It could happen. I think they're going to be really close. I think the fact that, they're, that BYU and Portland are going to have very close to the same number of losses in conference play is certainly a notable statistic about the a, struggles of Mark Pope's squad, and also the uh, emergence of Shantae Leggins as one of the best coaches in the WCC and, and the the growth of the Portland program, which should continue to be very significant over the next couple of years. And finally, the last one of the show, another one from Gozag's Repub on Twitter, who says, Gonzaga would have a better record this year with Tommy Lloyd as our head coach rather than Mark Few. Few is great and a future Hall of Famer, but I would rather have Tommy now and for the future. So... Gonzaga, as you know, has two losses (laughs) on the season. So to have a better record, they would have to not have one of those losses. I do not see any situation where Tommy Lloyd coaching this team means they don't lose to Duke or Alabama. I just don't see it. I don't know that they necessarily have a a worse record with Tommy Lloyd. I don't think that Lloyd coaching means that they wouldn't have beat Texas Tech or wouldn't have beat, you know, St. Mary's or Tarleton State or or anybody else like that. Uh, I, I I think Tommy Lloyd's a great coach, and I think you, you look at what he's done at Arizona. It's only been three-fourths of the season, um, but he's had, he's had a ton of success. He changed the way that they run things. He put a lot more onus on Kirk Kreese to, to be a more productive player. He's balled out for them. They're utilizing their strength, their talents as a team extremely well. He's a very, very good coach, but he's doing the same things that Mark Few is doing. Like They're running a similar tempo, a similar offensive. Like they're doing the same stuff, so I don't really see how it would be that different which is good. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with what Mark Few does. There's nothing wrong with what Tommy Lloyd does. I just don't think that it would be different. Tommy is a little bit different in the way he does substituting, substitution patterns. Uh, there was a longer conversation uh, about this topic on Twitter, which I thought was very Uh, Nice and respectful, which is always fun to see on Twitter when when people have a nice discourse about a topic like this. And and the points brought up about Tommy is that he's more more willing to make adjustments in game, which maybe could have helped them against Duke and Alabama. I just don't really see that. I don't think that we can look at, again, 23 games from Tommy Lloyd and say, well, he's clearly better than Mark Few at this. (laughs) We just don't have enough data. We don't have enough data. Um, I don't think it's crazy to think that Tommy Lloyd is going to be the better coach in the future than Mark Few. I don't know that there's any proof to believe that, but I don't think it's crazy to think either. They're both great coaches. Very clearly going to be very, very, very good coaches for the rest of their careers. Uh, I'm happy with Mark Few. I'm not going to be upset that it's Mark Few for the next twenty years if that's if that's the case. Uh, would it have been cool if it was Tommy? Sure, but I'm I'm, I'm happy I'm happy with Mark Few. All right, folks, got an extra day to wait before the Santa Clara game on Saturday. We got a preview of that game coming out on Friday. All right here on the Locked On Zags podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts and available on YouTube. Check that out if you have not yet already. Finally, thank you again to those of you who have made this show your first listen of the day. Now is a great time to make your second listen of the day, the Locked On Bets podcast. Locked On Bets is your daily one-stop shop for all of your sports gambling needs. Locked On Bets is hosted by your boy Q with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling. All right, thank you all for listening and go Zags.